0: chapters 16 and 17 of that affair at elizabeth this librivox recording is in the public domain that affair at elizabeth by bertney e. stevenson chapter 16 the secret of the cellar it was a moment before i fully understood the meaning of these extraordinary words when i did understand them i saw crumbling before me that elaborate structure which i had been at such pains to build the structure founded upon the assumption of miss lawrence's innocence She was only an adventurous after all then, or, more probably, only a weak woman, swayed by an ungovernable passion, risking everything rather than give up the man she loved, deceiving him, lying to him, taking the one desperate chance that lay within her reach, pausing at nothing so she might gain her end. Or, perhaps, she had really believed that old mistake of hers buried past resurrection. She may have thought him dead, this fascinating scoundrel who had turned her girlish head. She may have thought herself free. But even then her skirts were not wholly clean. She should have told her lover. She should never have permitted this shadow to lie between them, the skeleton, ready at any moment to burst from its closet but better far that it should burst out when it did than wait until the sin was consummated. An hour later, and the shackles had been forged past breaking. If revenge on Marsha Lawrence was the object of the plot, the conspirators had overleaped themselves. They should have waited until the words were uttered, which bound her to her second lover. Then had they sprung their trap, how they might have racked her. One other thing I understood— and marvelled that i had not understood before i saw what mrs lawrence had meant by saying that the marriage was not impossible that the obstacle could be cleared away that it should be for burr curtis to decide but even he i felt would hesitate to take for his wife a woman just emerging from the shadow of the divorce court however little she had been to blame for the tragedy which drove her there more especially since he must see that from the very first she had not dealt fairly with him a fault confessed may be forgiven a fault discovered is a different thing she had not been brave enough to confess she had not trusted him she had deceived him she had been guilty guilty those were the words which sang and sang in my brain and would not be stilled her face was a siren's face beautiful innocent virgin fresh and her soul a siren's soul merciless selfish hard and i had fancied that the soul was like the face i had not thought that a face like that could lie verily of women i had much to learn it was only by the merest accident i found it out godfrey was saying it was the policeman who was on duty at the lawrence place yesterday morning who gave me the first hint i'd already sounded him as well as everybody else about the place as to whether any strangers had been noticed loitering about and they were all quite positive that no stranger had passed the gate or entered the grounds during the morning after i left you yesterday morning i started back to the hotel to get my things together and in the hotel office i happened to meet the policeman whose name it seems is clemley he was off duty and seemed anxious to talk so i took him into the bar and got him a drink and pumped him a little on the off chance of his knowing something he hadn't told me and you're still sure i asked him after a while that no strangers went into the lawrence house yesterday morning "'Oh, yes, sir,' he answered, "'perfectly sure. I was on duty there all the time, you know. There were a good many people around, but I knew them all. I've been a policeman here for twenty years, and there's mighty few people I don't know. The only stranger I noticed the whole morning was a fellow who stopped to ask me where Miss Kingdon lived. You can guess, Lester, how my heart jumped when I heard that. Well, he described him about as I described him to you. Even to his being a musician, I asked?' Well, no, Godfrey laughed, that was a long shot of my own, but he told me the fellow was humming a tune all the time he wasn't talking. He came along just about eleven o'clock and asked where Miss Kingdon lived, asked also what was going on at the Lawrence place, and seemed much interested in what the policeman told him. He rolled a cigarette and lighted it as he talked. Rolled it, Clemley says, with one twist of his fingers, so expertly that Clemley marveled at it finally he went on to the gate out yonder and entered the yard that was all clemley saw did he see him come out again no he's certain he didn't come out while he was on duty which was till three o'clock in the afternoon of course he may have left by some other way he could have gone out by the alley at the back of the lot if he'd wished to avoid being seen and you believe marcia lawrence met him here i'm sure of it there can be only one explanation of that letter it demanded a price for silence threatened exposure at the church itself perhaps unless the money was paid miss lawrence flew here with what jewels and money she could lay her hands on at the moment gave them to him and he left or perhaps she only promised to reward him if he'd keep the secret it's doubtful if she had enough money at hand to buy him off for his demands wouldn't be modest at any rate she got rid of him for the moment but after he had gone she reflected that she would always be at his mercy that she could never be burr curtis's legal wife Suppose she should return to the house and carry through the farce of a marriage ceremony. She would only be preparing for herself an agony of suffering even more terrible than that which she was then enduring. The time would surely come when she would be unmasked before her lover. She could bear anything but that. She decided to end it, but to end it in such a way that her secret would be safe forever. So she lured him away upon another trail, then returned here, and— he finished with a significant gesture at his throat i thought it over then i shook my head it won't do godfrey i said it won't hold together in the first place how did this fellow know about the kingdons if he met miss lawrence here they must be his accomplices i believe they are "'Granting that, I don't believe Miss Lawrence killed herself. "'I certainly don't believe any such fantastic theory "'as that Miss Kingdon is working away there in the cellar, "'burying the body. "'Why should she incur such a risk as that?' "'I've asked myself the same question. "'Depend upon it, Lester. "'And found an answer to it? "'Not yet.' "'Miss Lawrence is on board the Umbria,' I repeated, "'trying to convince myself.' "'Then what is Miss Kingdon doing in the cellar?' "'I don't know, but it's not what you think.' "'Well,' said Godfrey, rising suddenly, "'I'm not going to theorize about it any longer. I'm going to find out.' "'To find out?' I echoed, rising too. "'Yes, I'm going to enter the house.' "'But you'll be committing a felony.' oh i don't think i'll have to break in i believe that door yonder is unlocked lester lucy kingdon came out of it and i'm pretty sure it hasn't been locked since that makes no difference i pointed out if you turn the latch you are legally just as guilty as if you picked the lock well i'm going to take the risk and he stooped over and slipped off his shoes suppose you stay here and give the alarm if anyone comes "'That would make me an accessory just as much as going along,' I objected." He laughed. "'Well, come along, then,' he said, and started toward the house, then stopped and turned toward me. "'Have you got a revolver?' "'No. I thought of buying one last night, but this morning it seemed ridiculous.' "'I think it anything but ridiculous,' said Godfrey quietly. "'But perhaps it's just as well. A revolver is a dangerous thing for any man who isn't used to carry it in his pocket.' Now move as silently as you can, and no talking, not even a whisper. I have never quite understood the uncontrollable impulse which urged me forward. It was, I think, a feverish desire to know the truth, to solve this mystery once and for all. But over that, and stronger than that, was the longing to exonerate Miss Lawrence, to prove Godfrey in the wrong. I did not stop then to reason about it, My brain was in a whirl, but I somehow got my shoes off and caught up with Godfrey, just as he cautiously tried the door. It was unlocked. We slipped inside and closed it softly. I fancy that I felt at that moment much as a thief feels who, having entered a house, pauses to find if he has been detected and to determine the direction of his prey— but Godfrey seemed quite self-possessed. He drew from his pocket a small electric torch and sent a slender beam of light quivering about the room. We were in a sort of entry between the kitchen and dining-room. The kitchen door stood ajar. We opened it and passed through. Again I caught a faint gleam of light. Godfrey crossed the room softly, entered what I saw afterwards to be a pantry, and opened another door— In an instant a broad stream of yellow light poured through. It was the door to the cellar. Godfrey lay down cautiously upon the floor and slowly dropped his head through the opening. I was close behind him, and I caught a sound which sent a sudden chill through me, a sound of shoveling. There was no mistaking it. Godfrey had guessed right. I could hear the shovel scrape against the dirt. I could hear the dirt dropped into a hole. Godfrey rose to his feet, motioned me to follow, and crept softly down the stair. Not until I was half-way down did I perceive that the noise came not from the main cellar, but from a sort of recess concealed from us by an angle of the wall. I could see a head bobbing up and down with the regular rhythm of the shovel, a head which I recognized as belonging to the elder Miss Kingdon we crept forward and gained the shelter of the other wall when there came a sudden sound of footsteps overhead in an instant the light was extinguished and i heard the woman cross the cellar and go softly up the stairs then a door opened and shut heavily a voice called her name and the steps went on into the front part of the house my face was damp with perspiration as godfrey seized my hand and pulled me forward shooting a ray of light before us round the wall into the recess where miss kingdon had been labouring only to pause shudderingly at the brink of a grave It was impossible to tell. Certainly it was a hole which roughly resembled a grave, though its outlines were jagged and irregular. It was filled with loose earth to within about a foot of the level of the cellar floor. A pile of dirt was banked in one corner, and upon it lay a pick and shovel. "'Here,' whispered Godfrey, and thrust the torch into my hands, "'Keep your finger on this button. I'm going to find out what's buried here.' My hand was shaking so that I could scarcely hold the torch. I saw him seize the shovel and step down into the hole. Then, with a little shake of his head, he laid it carefully down again, and, stooping, began scooping the loose dirt from one end of the hole with his hands. I scarcely breathed as I watched him. What was buried here? What dreadful thing was about to be revealed?' "'Steady, Lester,' whispered Godfrey, and bent again to his task. "'But it was foolish to suppose this a grave. It might have been dug for any of a dozen purposes. Perhaps the cellar needed draining. Perhaps the pipes were out of order. Perhaps—' But if it had been dug for an innocent purpose, why had Miss Kingdon chosen the middle of the night for the work?' Godfrey stopped with a sudden exclamation and dropped upon his knees. He laboured for a moment with feverish energy. "'Now, Lester, here,' he said. I bent down and shot a ray of light into the little hole which he had made. Then, in sheer terror, I nearly dropped the torch, for half hidden by the clinging earth lay a shoe, a shoe that was not empty. End of chapter 16 chapter seventeen a tragedy unforeseen for an instant i stood so rigid with horror scarcely breathing scarcely daring to believe my eyes then godfrey snatched the torch from my nerveless fingers and bent down into the grave good god he murmured after a moment's inspection of what lay there i would never have guessed this this is a thousand times worse than i imagined here lester hold the light i'll uncover the face and thrusting the torch into my hands he attacked the loose earth at the other end of the grave i too moved somehow to the other end and threw the light down into the shallow hole Godfrey worked with desperate energy hurling the dirt right and left. I watched the flying hands in such an agony of horror as I hope never again to experience, stared down into the deepening hole with the cold sweat starting out across my forehead at the thought of what any instant might reveal. Again Godfrey dropped to his knees and I was conscious of a face growing beneath his hands, almost as if he were calling it out of the darkness clearer and clearer it grew as he brushed away the clinging clay then he stood erect with a little sigh of mingled horror and satisfaction staring up at us was a face not a woman's face not marcia lawrence's face but a man's face florid heavy jowled with a black moustache dead yet not calm in death but contorted by a hideous grimace as though chuckling with satisfaction. "'Miss Lawrence may indeed have sailed on the Umbria,' murmured Godfrey, after a moment's silent contemplation of the ghastly countenance. She had every reason to flee, to the earth's end if possible, for she left her husband here.' I could find no word of answer. My throat was dry, contracted. I felt that I was suffocating. So this was the secret. No wonder we had not guessed it. One can easily build up the story, went on Godfrey in a voice carefully lowered. She came here called by the note, desperate, ready for anything, ready even to kill the devil who'd written it. For he was a devil, Lester. Look at his face it was in truth repellent enough doubly repellent now with that triumphant leer upon it cold and hard with cruel lines about the mouth a bloated face too marked by dissipation and bestiality i shuddered at the thought that marcia lawrence may have once been in his power that he had tried to drag her down from her sweet girlish innocence "'He deserved it,' I said hoarsely. "'He deserved it, and more.' "'Yes,' agreed Godfrey, "'no doubt he did. "'If she was ever in his hands, "'she must have suffered the torments of hell.' "'He fell silent a moment, "'staring down at the face. "'But I don't understand,' I burst out, "'forgetting for a moment to lower my voice. "'I can't understand.' "'Godfrey laid his hand sternly upon my lips. "'Neither do I,' he said but don't shout like that.' The words recalled me suddenly to a sense of our danger. "'We'd better get out of this,' I whispered. "'Yes, and as soon as we can. We'll have to call in the police. Besides,' he added grimly, "'I've got to get off the story, and it's getting late.' "'The story,' I echoed, suddenly sick at heart. "'So far as I know it, Lester, there can be no doubt about this body, I suppose.' a curious sound behind me as of a dog panting for breath sent a sudden chill through me i raised the torch and sent a beam of light sweeping about the cellar it rested for an instant on a face peering at us around a corner of the wall a face so distorted so demonic that it seemed scarcely human then there was a flash of flame a report and the torch crashed from my hand while a gust of acrid smoke whirled into my face i felt godfrey clutch me and pull me down beside him into the half-filled grave i even fancied that i touched the staring face which lay there in an agony of horror i struggled to free myself to stand erect ready to brave any danger rather than that but he held me fast steady lester steady he whispered if she fires again i'll drop her and i knew that he held his revolver in his hand don't do that i gasped don't do that you've no right to do that i have the right to defend myself retorted godfrey grimly and waited his muscles tense but she did not fire again instead there was a long unbroken silence during which it seemed to me i could feel my hair whitening on my head i also became conscious of a stinging numbness in my right hand minute after minute passed, and still no sound came from the outer cellar. I felt that if the silence endured a moment longer I should shriek aloud. "'Lie still,' whispered Godfrey at last, and I'll try to find the torch. Did she hit you?' "'My hand feels numb.' "'Let me see,' and I felt his fingers touching it softly here and there. "'It's just a scratch, I think, but wait till I find the torch.' I heard him groping about for it, then for a time all was still again. Suddenly from an angle of the wall a shaft of light shot about the cellar. It was empty. "'All right,' Lester," said Godfrey's voice, "'let's have a look at the hand.' I got up unsteadily and went to him. A moment's examination showed that my wound was indeed only a scratch. The bullet had grazed the back of the hand and struck the wrist bone a glancing blow we'll have it dressed as soon as we can said godfrey and now the next thing is to get out of this place alive our enemy is probably lying in wait for us with a loaded gun at the top of the stairs by the way i caught only the merest glimpse of the face did you recognise it yes i said it was the elder miss kingdon godfrey gave a little whistle it looked positively devilish he said it gave me the worst scare i've had for a long time did you notice the eyes how they glared at us yes i said and shivered a little i confess i don't like the thought of going up those stairs he went on but there's no other way out this window's too small so we'll have to chance it give me your hand I stretched out my uninjured hand. In an instant we were in darkness, and I knew that he had exchanged the torch for his revolver. "'Come on,' he whispered, and we started forward. At the foot of the stair we paused for a moment, listening, but no sound came from above. We mounted a step, two steps, three— Suddenly I felt a convulsive pressure on my hand. From above came a quick succession of sharp taps, as of someone rapping with his knuckles upon the wall. It rose, fell, rose again. Involuntarily we retreated to the foot of the stair and took refuge against the farther wall. A light flashed out again, and I saw Godfrey mopping his face with his handkerchief. As for myself, I was fairly bathed in perspiration what was it i asked hoarsely i don't know godfrey answered in the same tone but i know one thing if we stay down here much longer we will both of us lose our nerve completely i'm going to make a dash for it and he started for the cellar steps i followed him clenching my teeth convulsively but again a sound from overhead stopped us a quick step across the floor the opening of a door and then a scream so shrill so agonized that it made my heart stand still come on cried godfrey and dashed up the stair in an instant we reached the top the kitchen was dark but a stream of light poured through the open door from the room beyond we sprang to it i saw it was the dining-room a light stood on the table and for a second i thought the room was empty then my ear caught a kind of dry sobbing which seemed to come from one corner in an alcove between the chimney and the wall was a closet its door was open and as we peered into it i saw a woman's figure clothed in white straining at some dark and heavy object godfrey took but one glance at it good god he cried and sprang into the closet bring the light lester so shaken by i knew not what new horror that i could scarcely walk i yet had self-control enough to obey i tottered to the table took up the lamp and returned to the closet door the rays of the light fell within revealing the whole terrible scene Lucy Kingdon and Godfrey holding up a figure clothed in black, a figure which swayed and wobbled, turning at last so that I caught a glimpse of the swollen, distorted face, the same face which had glared at us around a corner of the cellar wall. End of chapter 17